When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Hello and welcome to Japan Explained. I have no idea how it happened, but I still didn't tell you anything about sake. Even though I should have brought it right after Geisha, few things in Japanese culture are surrounded by as many misconceptions as these two. For example, sake is not rice vodka, and not even rice wine, although it does taste a bit like wine. But in essence, it is a rice beer. And it is far from being the most popular alcoholic drink in Japan. Or do you know the rule that good sake is drunk cold and bad sake is drunk hot? Forget it. Because it's a big fat myth. And anyway, what exactly is hot? 30 degrees Celsius? 40? 55? I can keep listing myths about sake, but I think you've got the picture. We desperately need to have a talk about what sake really is. So, let's begin. I have to admit right away that the history of sake is quite a mess. While some sources claim that sake has been produced in Japan from the time rice was introduced to the Isles, others just as strongly insist that the ancient alcohol has little to do with modern sake and that we should look no further than 14th or 15th centuries, or better yet, the 17th. This is further complicated by the fact that in Japanese the word sake refers to any alcoholic beverage. The drink we call sake has a different name in Japanese. Nihonshu, Japanese alcohol. It's not much better though, and it's also relatively new, but we'll get to it later. The first reference to the Japanese drinking alcohol appears in the 3rd century Chinese chronicle, the Book of Wei. The only thing it mentions though is the following. The Japanese consume alcohol. They offer it to guests at funerals. No mentions of what this alcohol looks like or how it is produced. And yet it is assumed that the alcohol is rice alcohol and that the Japanese actually made something of this kind since around the 5th or 3rd centuries BC. Something alcoholic from rice was most likely kuchikamizake, If you've seen the anime Your Name, you may recall a scene where the main female character chews cooked rice and then spits it out into a wooden box. This is kuchikamizake, literally mouth-chewed sake. The chewed rice starts fermenting under the influence of the enzymes in our saliva and gradually turns into alcohol. The drink looks peculiar. But the taste, according to the Japanese YouTubers, who of course rushed to recreate it, is quite good. From the ancient times, let's jump straight into the 8th century and the Nara period. The Japanese state had just built itself a proper, grand and seemingly permanent capital and began scribing down documents. Sake 
that is different kinds of alcohol, is mentioned in them too. Alcohol beverages appear repeatedly in our much-loved Kojiki Book of Myths. The most famous scene, though, is still the same one I described in Yokai Explained episode. Susanoo no Mikoto defeating the eight-headed serpent, Yamata no Orochi, by making him drunk. Well, there are plenty of other alcohol-related stories in the book as well. Sake is also covered in Fudoki, reports on the state of affairs in different regions of the country. From there we learn that the Japanese began to produce alcohol by fermenting rice with koji mold. The mention of sake in these documents, however, does not mean that the drink was popular among the people. On the contrary, sake was the drink of the imperial court, aristocrats and high clergy. The imperial court in Nara even had its own sake production department, where about 60 people made several types of sake. And of course, aristocrats were not quiet about their love of the alcohol and mentioned it extensively in poems. Otomo no Tabito stood out in particular, with each poem of his in the Manyoshu poetic anthology being an ode to sake. A total of 13 separate mini-odes. And while scholars argue about the motives and meaning of Tabito's poems, his compositions look more or less like this. Silently seeking wisdom, will never much drinking wine and drunken weeping. Oh, how ugly. People seeking wisdom and not drinking. Look at them well. Don't they seem like monkeys? At the end of the same 8th century, the imperial court moved to the capital of peace and tranquility, Heiyankyo, now Kyoto. Here, too, a sake-making department was built on the grounds of the imperial palace. And in the first half of the 10th century, information about the office's operations, sake-making methods and use of sake in festivals and rituals appeared in the Engishiki, procedures of the Engi era. The book describes a total of 15 types of drink, from the light and refined goshu served to emperors and sweet sake favored by court ladies, to a simpler alcohol resembling the modern-day condiment mirin. In the 12th-14th centuries, power slipped from the hands of imperial court to the rising samurai class. Sake follows and is now produced at samurai households. Produced and consumed so intensively, in fact, that the country begins to run short of rice. And in 1252, the Bakufu samurai government forbids the sale of sake. The law, however, would not hold for long. In the 14th century, bonds would be replaced by taxis and private sake shops, Tsukuri Zakaya, of which in 1425 there were more than 300 in Kyoto alone. At the same time, sake was also produced in temples and shrines, many of which brewed it not only for their own religious needs, but also for sale. Sake from Amano Kongoji Temple in the south of present-day Osaka Prefecture was especially famous. The name of that sake spoke for itself. Amano Shu, sake from the heavenly valley, heavenly nectar, or simply ambrosia. 
The alcohol content of ambrosia was about the same as in modern-day sake, 10-16%, and in later centuries it was enjoyed by, among others, Oda Nobunaga and Toyotomi Hideyoshi, who even ordered Amanoshu for his grand sakura viewing party at Daigoji Temple. The monks gradually improved their production technology, and by the end of the 14th century the sake-making process was not much different from today. And Bodai-san Shorokuji Temple in Nara Prefecture considers itself the place where the first real sake was made. There is even a memorial stone there to honor the occasion. The process of sake production was further polished in the 15th and 16th centuries and is best described in the diary of Tamon Monastery. It mentions the process of rice polishing, the three-step addition of ingredients to the fermentation vat, and pasteurization of the finished sake. We can't call this process pasteurization just yet, though, because Louis Pasteur would only invent it 300 years later. In the same 16th century, Louis Freus, a brilliant writer, thanks to whom we know a lot about Japanese society of the time, also wrote about sake. However, it was not the technological achievements of the craftsmen that fascinated him most. It was the fact that during banquets the Japanese made each other drink so much sake that they either got terribly drunk or became sick. And most importantly, they were extremely proud of doing so. But despite the evident love the Japanese had for sake and its widespread production, in the 15th and 16th centuries, sake was still made in small quantities. It was not until the very end of the 16th century that the production of this beverage reached in an industrial scale. And by then, the Tokugawa era was just around the corner. In the peaceful Tokugawa era, sake drinking finally spread among all classes. Sake was drunk at holidays and festivals, as well as hanami picnics to celebrate the blossoming of cherry trees. A popular saying of the period reads Kyoto kidaore, Osaka kuidaore, Edo nomidaore. It means that Kyoto people go broke over spending too much on clothes, Osaka people over food, and Edo people over booze. Which isn't surprising, because the best sake in Edo was Kudarizake. I won't repeat the whole story told in Soy Sauce Explained episode here, but let me remind you that sake, soy sauce and other high-quality goods were brought to Edo from the faraway capital region of Kyoto, Osaka and the surrounding area. Those goods were called kudarimono, things that had descended from above. High quality of the product and delivery from far away meant it was expensive, but despite a high price, every year the people of Edo waited impatiently for a new shipment of kudarezake, the sake that had come down from the capital. The price of the drink was also influenced by the fact that at the beginning of the Edo period, the year was divided into five periods of sake production. But sake made in the warmer months often spoiled during fermentation, wasting heaps of rice and causing financial losses. So when the sake makers of Itami near Osaka 
perfected the method of making sake during the winter months, the Tokugawa government got busy and in 1673 issued a law permitting sake production only between the autumn and spring equinoxes. Meanwhile, the demand for sake continued to grow, and in the first half of the 17th century, sake brewers from the famous Ikeda village near Osaka began to move their production closer to the port. This was the birth of one of Japan's largest sake-producing centers, Nada, now part of Kobe City. Sake from Nada quickly gained fame in the samurai capital, and by the early 19th century accounted for 80% of all sake consumed in Edo. And when the ideal water source for sake production called Miyamizu was discovered in the region, Nada's fame literally went through the roof. But even though the process of sake production in the Edo period became fully established and the more expensive and noble sake of the period was similar to what we drink today, the sake of the common folk was quite different from our contemporary idea of the drink. Alcohol percentage in sake in the 17th and 18th centuries was about the same as it is today, about 15%. And the rice for sake, like now, was pre-polished. But because it was mostly hand-polished, the rice was nowhere near as refined, and there was a lot of sugar and amino acids left in it. Because of this, simple at a period sake was transparent but brownish, like tea, and had a rather strong flavor and aroma. Those who tasted the modern-day recreation describe it as a mixture of soy sauce and a medicinal infusion. Because of this strong taste, sake was usually diluted with water. And because the taste of the diluted drink did not change much until it reached 5% alcohol, many taverns took the opportunity and diluted the drink as much as possible. The practice was so widespread that eventually a term was coined to refer to such sake. Kingyoshu, a goldfish sake, meaning that the sake was so watered down that goldfish could swim in it. But diluted or not, the people of Edo really loved their sake. In addition to numerous banquets for any occasion, they held competitions to see who would drink the most sake, and ukiyo-e prints depicted banquets of kabuki actors and sumo wrestlers. After all, everyone likes to hang out with colleagues and friends, and these brought the stars of the Edo period close to their fans. Speaking of banquets and friendly gatherings, Edo period brought us yet another innovation. Someone has to pay for the gathering. And normally, this honorable duty fell on one member of the group. But then, in late 18th century, painter and writer Santo Kyoden came along and suggested that the total amount should be divided equally among all the participants. His method of payment caught on, first called Kyoden Kanjo, and later becoming known as the Varikan, which is still quite popular today. But, like all things good, the Edo period comes to an end. 
1868, Japan enters the Meiji era, the age of rapid modernization, when big changes were happening every day. It was at this time that sake, as opposed to European drinks, became known as Nihonshu, Japanese alcohol. And it was during this period that sake, like European drinks, began to be sold in glass bottles rather than poured into containers brought by the customer. The new government took advantage of the population's love of alcohol. Poor but ambitious, the major government had enormous plans. Modernize the country, build an army, create an industry and transport infrastructure in Japan. And these, and many other things, had to be paid for. And the government needed a good income source. The solution was to tax the sake breweries. It's hard to imagine, but sometimes alcohol taxes made up more than 30% of the entire national budget. But to its credit, the major government was achieving its goals. The country was actively modernizing, and this in turn affected sake production. Large sake factories were now equipped with steam engines, and scientists determined the type of yeast used in sake production, and developed new varieties of rice that were ideal for making the drink. Then, fast forward three decades, and Japan got itself involved into the Second World War. Soon, rice, essential for sake production, was banned from the free market. Left without sufficient resources, producers looked for different solutions. First, the market was flooded with the goldfish sake, and then by 1943, sake production became fully controlled by the state. In order to maintain the amount of alcohol in sake in the absence of rice, producers now diluted it with distilled alcohol. Nothing special, really, the Japanese used to add a little bit of alcohol to save sake from spoiling back in the Edo period. The problem wasn't the quantity. During the wartime, they added so much that the original volume of the drink was tripled. On top of that, to keep sake acceptable to the palate, they added glucose, amino acids and other additives. Desperate time call for desperate measures, so it's understandable. After all, sake was in constant demand. The real problem started later, as the emergency production methods did not change even after life in the country finally got back to normal. Large producers were happy to be able to make sake quickly, cheaply and in great quantities. Better yet, they didn't even have to produce all the sake themselves. They could just buy it from small producers, pour it all into a shared tank, and there bring it up to a consistently low quality. No one, including the customers, seemed to mind. After nearly a decade of terrible sake, it seemed that the Japanese had simply forgotten what the drink should taste like. And so, as the national economy grew, so did sake consumption, reaching an all-time high in the 1970s, when the demand for sake often exceeded its supply. In 1978, a national sake day was established on October 1st. The date skillfully combined two symbols, 
October as the beginning of the Sake production year, and October as the symbol of Sake, because the character for 10th cycle on the Chinese zodiac calendar closely resembles the character for Sake. But the days of mass consumption of Sake were numbered. By the end of 1970s, the Japanese were already well acquainted with wine, beer, whiskey, and other beverages, and low-quality sake began to rapidly lose its popularity. In this situation, the miracle that saved the industry from total collapse was Ginjoshu. As sake experts tell you, if you can remember one thing about sake, remember the word Ginjoshu. It means sake made from rice, polished by at least 40%. But the production of Ginjoshu did not begin in Japan overnight. It was made in small quantities to be used in brewing contests, but except for a few keen producers, no one thought that such labor-intensive beverage was suitable for mass production. And yet, Gradually, the number of breweries and consumers interested in this light, fruity sake grew, and by the late 80s, Japan was experiencing a Ginjoshu boom. In the same 80s and 90s, other changes were also taking place in the sake world. Traditionally, sake brewery owners were not personally involved in sake production. More often than not, it was a seasonal side business of a wealthy family. For the actual work, each year they employed a team of sake brewers headed by Toji Master. It was convenient for everyone. The family members could go about their usual business, while the farmers who were busy in the fields only during the warm season got a job for the six cold months. But in the 80s and 90s, despite increasing consumer interest in quality sake, overall sales of the drink continued to plummet. The young successors to the small breweries realized that their businesses would not last long in such conditions. So they studied the art of sake brewing. Some grow so enthusiastic that they even begin to grow their own rice. More and more brewery owners are starting to take an active role in the actual production of sake and then begin to focus on the quality and individuality of their product. The variety and image of the new owner brewer sake attracts a new public to drink as well. Sake is no longer considered the cheap drink of older men. Young people, women, international foodies and sommeliers are beginning to be interested in it. And that is where we are today. This, however, does not mean that sake sales are picking again. The crown of Japan's favorite alcoholic beverage has long been held by beer and is likely to stay this way. In 2010, sake consumption was three times lower than at its peak year of 1975. And it is slowly but surely declining. During the same time, the number of breweries has also halved, and there are currently only about 1,500 left in the country. But this also does not mean that everything is bad. The modern world simply has different needs for alcohol, and sake in particular. 
Junmaishu made without added alcohol, or the earlier mentioned Ginjoshu made from heavily polished rice, are steadily gaining popularity both in Japan and abroad. And the new generation of consumers is much more open to experimentation. For example, sparkling sake has already caught on in the market, while sake brewers are working on the technology to make stronger versions of the beverage. It could be as simple as distillation, the process used to make vodka, whiskey and gin, but it takes away the sweetness of the sake. So the researchers try to freeze sake instead. Water freezes at 0 degrees Celsius, while alcohol only at minus 20, allowing to just remove frozen water from the drink to make it stronger. This way, sake becomes more concentrated and flavorful. The Tamagawa brewery from Niigata had a different idea. They added matured rice alcohol to sake, thus making it stronger, yet keeping the original feel of the drink. And they seem to have succeeded. Now you can buy Echigo Samurai with 46% alcohol. By law though, such a strong drink cannot be called sake, so don't be surprised when you find the word liquor in the product description. Ingredients of sake were not left out of this experience, but while rice and water for making sake have been tested and manipulated for centuries, yeast has only recently received the attention it deserves. Today, scientists are busy identifying new varieties of yeast that could give sake a unique floral aroma, and one batch of yeast has even been sent into space. After a 10-day journey, the yeast returned to Earth, where it was shared among 17 sake breweries, all of which presented their takes on the space sake. Now, there is even a new wave of interest in aged sake that had been forgotten in the 19th century. And while not all sake grows better with age like wine, certain sake is clearly suitable for vintage and already have its own admirers. The only question left is, what does the future hold for sake? To begin with, it will definitely conquer the world. Sake imports are growing year by year, with interest from Japan's neighbors China and Korea, as well as Australia, America and Europe. And in England, the first small sake brewery opened in 2017. Next, sake will stand on par with wine. It is already on its way. You can take the Sake Sommelier license exam, attend courses and workshops that teach you how to pair the sake with various world cuisines. One sake bar in Yokohama went even further and now has an AI sommelier, which helps customers choose a drink that meets their preferences and the food they ordered. Now I'm looking forward to see water weight sake after that. Thank you for staying with me till the end. Next time, I invite you to explore the sake making process and learn how to choose and enjoy it. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the next episodes. Please press the like button, leave me a comment or tell a friend about the show to spread the knowledge. Remember that at japanexplained.com you can always find more information about this and previous topics 
as well as links to my social media accounts and ways you can help me keep Japan Explained up and running. Talk to you soon. Bye. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.